Thank you, Brother Brent. And for visitor's sake, I just want you to know this is not typical of the uh, service here on Sunday mornings. We have a lot more music than this, and our choir usually sings, and our wonderful orchestra as well. But we're giving them a break today, and you'll see why in just a few moments. But we, uh, we don't skip the preaching of the Word of God here. That's, that's the centerpiece. Uh, that's the ultimate in a church service. And I hope you look forward to that, not because I'm pastor and usually the one preaching, but because of the Word of God itself and the primacy of preaching. It is by the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save them that believe. Take your Bibles, and I'm not asking you to turn to Matthew 5, 6, or 7. Can you believe that? Uh, we've been doing that for a long time, but I'm asking you to turn to the Old Testament. Turn to uh, Exodus chapter 21. Chapter 21. Yes, and if you are, have permission as children to leave for a children's church, you may do so now. Many of you are already doing that. If your parents have given you permission, you may leave. Uh, we read from the King James Version of the Word of God. And if you happen to have brought another translation, you can direct your attention to the screens for that wording, and that's what I'll be following <clears throat> in this text. The first six verses of Exodus 21, the title of the message is, I will serve thee because I love thee. And you recognize that as a title of a chorus we love to sing around here, and we will sing it uh, before we leave today. Verse 1, Exodus 21. Now these are the judgments which thou shalt set before them. If thou buy an Hebrew servant, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife, and she have borne him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free, then his master shall bring him unto the judges. He shall also bring him to the door, or unto the door post, and his master shall bore his ear through with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Honestly, isn't that a curious spectacle? Very singular. And um, I'm sure it happened many times. These were the instructions for it, but I'm sure it happened many times. Over the next two Sundays, Lord willing, I plan to bring a mini-series about serving Christ through the local church. And for those of you who are members of Friendship, we're talking about serving him at Friendship Baptist Church. We have a number of new members. Some of them will be, we'll have a fellowship time with them after the service and uh, just answering their questions and, and helping them to be assimilated here. But I hope as I get into this message today, you're not jumping to the conclusion that we're just trying to put a spin on how glorious it is to change diapers in the nursery. Or what a wonderful privilege it is to take a senior saint to a doctor's appointment, though I hope you feel it is. We're not just trying to be creative and positive to recruit people to serve. To just take your turn. 
I'm serious when I say that I want you to get, on, get in on the reward promised by Jesus Christ when he said, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto who? Unto me. We have to be reminded of that. And I don't think he's just talking about being patient until we get rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, which will be a reality. And some people will lose their rewards. The Apostle John talks about that in his epistle. But I don't think he's just talking about being patient until in the sweet by and by when we stand before Jesus, we finally get our reward, eternal reward. I think there's a reward Christ wants us to get in on down here. For those who count not their lives dear unto themselves, but offer them as living sacrifices unto God. So I say without apology, every member is a minister, is a servant, or should be in the biblical sense. Yes, we sometimes age out of some duties. The Bible addresses that. Did you know that? The Bible talks about the Levites. When they turned 50, they no longer performed the menial work of the tabernacle. I won't ask how many of you are 50 or older here today. I don't want you retired on us, okay. But they didn't quit serving the Lord altogether. In the King James it says they kept the charge. They no longer did the menial work of the tabernacle, but they kept the charge, which means they served as guards while their younger brethren did the work. But could I just remind you we never age out of serving Jesus Christ some of the most backslidden Christians in the world are retired people because they think that they're entitled to taking it easy. And just like David on the housetop, when he took it easy, they get into sin. There's a place in the harvest for every one of us. Don't rust out. Drop in the saddle for Jesus. It has been long observed, to know Him is to love Him, and to love Him is to serve Him. How true that is, though those words aren't found in Scripture quite like that. The point I wish to make today is this, wholehearted service for Jesus Christ is demonstrated by our service to His church. Service to the church of Christ is the test of our love for Him. Now that's true of every command of our Lord. He will not be a debtor to us if we obey Him and put Him first. So I hope that you'll see the joy there is in serving Jesus. You don't have to steal yourself and bite the bullet and, and get all psyched up and say to yourself, we can do this, we can get through this. That's the way a lot of Christians do, sad to say. No, that's stoicism. That's not serving Christ. Now, I want to be honest about the setting here. In this little curious hypothetical scenario, tucked away in the minutiae of the details of the law of Moses, the context is slavery. I know we don't like to talk about that. This is not the kind of slavery that was outlawed in the United States 150 years ago. 
this is a different type of slavery, and yet it was slavery. It was a slavery of an indentured Hebrew servant who probably fell into debt or on hard times. And so he was hired out. He sold himself to another Hebrew. It was a temporary arrangement. It was regulated. And the master could not treat his servant, his brother, with rigor. But he had to do it in a humane way. But I will hasten to say, it touches on a larger principle here that needs to be pointed out. What God never ordained, He permitted and regulated. If you don't understand that principle, you will do as many have done and just reject the Bible, especially the Old Testament. This is true not only of slavery, what He did not ordain, he regulated, but it's also true about divorce. It's true about a plurality of wives. It's true about the treatment of captives of war. And all these things are found in the Old Testament. Most pastors just don't ever talk about them. The God of the Bible is a God who never condoned slavery. He never ordained that one man should own another. And we'll say more about that. But please don't do as many have done and reject the Bible and say it's an outdated book and we need more enlightenment. We need to interpret the Bible in the light of a more progressive age. And then they, they base that on the Bible's teaching on slavery, what they think, and they imbibe permissiveness about homosexuality and about the ordaining of women in the local church to preach and all kinds of things get swept in with this mentality. All right, that, that's not the message. That was just the introduction and I, I, that didn't cost you anything extra. Now what can this graphic story about the treatment of an indentured Hebrew servant teach us as New Testament believers about how to persevere in serving Jesus through His church, through serving His church. I want to give you four lessons, and because of what we'll be doing in a moment, I'll be briefer than usual. I'll cover two of them today, and then we'll cover the, the last two, Lord willing, next Sunday. Four lessons. Number one, this story teaches us, this scenario, that we are bond slaves of Jesus Christ. The New Testament makes it clear that all believers are servants of Christ. Paul, Peter, John, in their inspired writings, they typically introduce themselves as servants of Jesus Christ. Now, the Greek word, of course, most of the New Testament is written in Greek, and the Greek word is the word doulos. It may surprise you to know that the literal meaning of doulos is far more repulsive to our culture than just the idea of servant. The word literally means bond slave. Bond slave. It refers to creatures in the Greco-Roman world that were not even regarded as persons, but as property, as things. 
chattel property. You say, well, Pastor, why have our English Bibles, not just the King James, but others, consistently mistranslated and toned down that word doulos and put it, rendered it as servant instead of slave? Thank you for asking that question. I wanted to answer it anyway. John MacArthur cites two reasons. I think he's right on target. Number one, translators have understandably sought to avoid any association between the Bible and the slave trade of the British Empire and the American colonial era. They've tried to avoid that for obvious reasons. Secondly, and this may not be as well known to you, the Latin versions of the Bible started translating doulos as servant, and so the early English translations just followed suit. That has continued to this day. But as Jesus said about divorce, so it can be said here, from the beginning it was not so. Doulos originally meant slave. It still does. Let's just say it like it is as we talk about the slavery here. So if you understand what slavery meant, even in Bible times, it wasn't exactly like slavery in the colonial era, we would come to this conclusion first of all, if we are bond slaves of Jesus Christ, it means we belong to Him, not to ourselves. And this is where Christian service has to start. Otherwise we'll think we're entitled to things. Let's not lessen the force of that word slave when it comes to Christ, just because we find it utterly repugnant that one man should ever own another. Would you take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20? Some of you no doubt have memorized this, these verses. You know what we're about to say. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. <clears throat> Paul states unequivocally here, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God? And notice the next phrase, and ye are not your own. Well, that's not something that rugged individualists in America like to hear. We are self-made men. But the Bible says you're not your own. Why? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which our, are God's, I'm sorry. Jesus is the exclusive owner of us if we are saved. I mean spirit, soul, body. We are the people of His possession, Titus 2.14 says. If that be true, and it is, what do we owe Him? We owe Him complete submission. We owe Him unquestioning obedience. Our goal must be to please Him and Him alone. We are accountable to Him. The only assessment that counts is His assessment. We must render Him singular devotion. We are utterly dependent upon Him for physical and spiritual life. Yes, you say, well, why are we commanded to work if we're utterly dependent on the Lord? Well, have you ever noticed what the purpose for work is in the Bible? We have all these mottos, I owe, I owe, so off to work I go, and got to keep the wolf away from the door, and all that kind of stuff. 
But you don't find that in the Bible. You don't even find those sentiments. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.28, we are to work to give to him that hath need. God has promised to underwrite our expenses. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things shall be added unto you, unto us. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Sometimes we need to have a little attitude adjustment about that. Beloved, what tremendous freedom we have to serve Christ when we realize this. Forgive me for being personal again, talking about Chloe more than 20 years ago. The disease that took her life was cystic fibrosis. And she received a double lung transplant over at Duke Hospital that extended her life for 10 years. But all of her medical bills were several million dollars. I didn't have that. But God supplied every need. I could keep you here the rest of the time telling you how God did that. I'm just saying, what God orders, He pays for in the lives of His children. He's the paymaster. He owns us. And what He created, He maintains. He will not be a debtor to those who serve Him. We can rest in His care. And we can focus on His work. We belong to Him. Secondly, we have no rights. We owe Him everything. Uh, That doesn't strike Americans very favorably, I know. But we have no rights. I found myself singing in the car the other day. I don't get asked to sing around here very often. I I, I rub that in on Brother Brent. He he knows that if I want to sing, I could. And he and I are going to sing in the missions conference. But um, I found myself singing with a favorite men's group on a CD I really love in my car this week. And you know the song. The chorus goes, Oh, Jesus, Lord and Master, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thine atonement didst give thyself for me. And then, I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for thee alone. Do we mean that when we sing it? That's a thrilling song. And a recent funeral that was requested to sing. I, I was blown away, and nobody asked for that song anymore. But we have a lot of people in America that think, as I said already, I'm a self-made man. Everything I have, I work for. I'm not beholden to anybody. Oh, how foolish. Who are you kidding? It is God that gives you the strength to work. It is God that gives you the power, the ability. It is God who holds your breath in His hands. And when He snaps His finger, your ticker stops. 
I don't care how many times you've worked out in the gym. In fact, it can stop right in the gym. And we can't take the credit spiritually for anything either. The reason we chose Him is He chose us. We love Him because He first loved us. He's the one who grants repentance unto life. He is the one who gives us faith. It's the gift of God. You know, once we realize that, it takes away all sense of entitlement. And we're afflicted with that. It's a bane in our culture in America. We have this entitlement complex. We think that government should take care of us from the cradle to the grave. In fact, there was a business in the Cayman Islands that advertised that way. We'll take care of you from the cradle to the grave. Uh, they really did. How morbid. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 17, verse 10, and see what Jesus said should be our attitude. He gave a parable about a, a servant that did the will of his master, and he asked, do you think when he finished doing the will of his master that um, when he came back that he should be able to sit down and eat meat like the master did. And here's what Jesus said in verse 10, So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our what, class? Duty to do. When it comes to serving Jesus Christ and His church, we need to realize we are slaves with no rights, no entitlements. We must do what our duty is to do. The second thing I want to leave with you this morning from this curious little scenario in, in, in Exodus 21 is we love our Master. We love our master. Verse 5 gets to the heart of the matter with this indentured servant. As we go back to Exodus 21, verse 5. And if the servant shall plainly say, I love my master, my wife and my children, I will not go out free. The issue is love, folks. That's the whole issue. Do we love Jesus? And if we love Jesus, we will undergo all kinds of burdens and sacrifices because we love Him. In the early 1900s, a phrase became popular and was put to music, and you may remember this, not from the early 1900s, but what's happened since then. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. He ain't heavy, he's my brother. That was the motto of Boys Town under Father Flanagan. But it might surprise you to know that it really goes back further than that. Before Boys Town and Father Flanagan, there was a book in the 1800s written about the parables of Jesus that had that very statement in it. No sacrifice is too great for the one we really love. May I remind you what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 
11, 28 through 30. In fact, I want you to see it for yourself, though it's familiar words. Would you turn there? Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus said, and if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you see these words are in red, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's talking about soul rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. There it is. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How touching these words are. They've been quoted often. They've consoled us. Jesus was having compassion on those who were enslaved under the iron yoke of sin and Satan. May I remind you that you're going to serve somebody. If you don't serve Jesus, you will serve the hardest of all taskmasters, Satan. And the devil is a terrible taskmaster. He will grind all he can out of you, all the strength all the manhood, all the womanhood that he can. He will make you serve with rigor without paying you. And then when he's done with you, he'll throw you on the ash heap and laugh at you. What a devil he is. But Jesus is a loving master. There's a yoke that he gives, but it's light. It's easy. A yoke is for at least two. I've never seen a yoke for just one. Maybe there is one. Jesus bears the heavy end of the yoke. It's easy for us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. They're not burdensome. We need to hear that in our day because even in fundamental churches like Friendship Baptist Church here in the United States of America, we hear so much about how rules are a legalistic burden and we should just dispense with rules and talk only about relationships. Now, don't misunderstand me. We need to have a relationship with Jesus Christ or we're not saved. And we become His children by the new birth. But the issue is not the rules. If the rules are the commands of Jesus. Because, boy, it's getting quiet in here. Somebody say amen. Or, or, okay, thank you. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my... Ah, so there are some rules. Now, if they're man-made rules, that's another matter. But if Jesus said them, they're a test of our love. Samuel Rutherford, I love to read after him. He lived back in the 1600s. He was a famous nonconformist pastor in Scotland who endured great persecution for the cause of Christ. His letters, the letters of Samuel Rutherford, have been classics, still read to this day. I would encourage you to read them. Samuel Rutherford himself was like a flower that emitted greater fragrance the more that he was crushed. Even his, those who didn't agree with him theologically respected him because of his love for Christ. He would extol the loveliness of Jesus Christ every chance he got. This is one thing he said, just typical of many things. 
this one has stuck with me. I memorized it. Rutherford said, the cross of Jesus Christ is the sweetest burden I've ever borne. It is such a burden as gives wings to a bird and sails to a ship to carry me forward to my harbor. Would to God we could see it that way. That's how a true bond slave of Jesus Christ feels. Are we there yet? Or do we make Christ's commands a legalistic burden? Secondly, we would not go free if we could. That's the big point of this passage, this hypothetical story. In verse 5, I will not go free, this indentured servant said, though the, the year of Jubilee had come and he could go free. He had done his time. He'd put in his six years. He could go free, but he refused. Why? Was he experiencing Stockholm sweet, uh, Syndrome? You know what that is? That's the strange fascination and bonding psychologically of hostages with their captors. This isn't Stockholm Syndrome. Why? Because Jesus doesn't use psychology to get you to serve him. He lays out everything up front. The cost of following him. He doesn't play tricks with your mind. Oh, that we would follow our Savior who humbled himself unto death as Jehovah's suffering servant for us. Let's follow his example because he could have gone free, couldn't he? I mean, when a host of our men came to take him in the garden, all he had to do was speak his name as the great I am, and they fell backwards to the ground. And could he not have paralyzed them so that he could escape? He testified, I could call 72,000 angels from heaven to keep me from having to die on the cross. But he didn't. He could have gone free, but he didn't. Why? He was devoted to the Father's will. And he drank the bitter cup to the dregs. He did not accept deliverance, though he might have done so. And so now he turns to us. And he says, you can go free if you want to. One of the most touching passages in the Bible is John chapter 6. Right after Jesus fed the 5,000. In fact, the earlier verses of John 6 tell that story. And then they follow him around to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And he gives that discourse about the bread of life. And in that discourse about the bread of life, he talks about what it really means to be united with him, to identify with him, and to follow him. And up until that point, multitudes had followed him, but that changed. The Bible says in the closing verses, they followed him no more, they left. I mean, you could have played checkers on their coattails. They were getting out of there. And he turns to the 12 and he asks the saddest question in the Bible. Will ye also go away? You see the multitudes, they thought they wanted to follow me. They thought they loved me. Oh, they loved it when I multiplied the loaves and fishes. 
But now they're leaving me. Are you going to go too? You can. Nobody's holding a gun to your head. Thank God for Peter. He may have stuck his foot in his mouth most of the time when he spoke, but he hit the nail on the head this time. He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? <laughs> Thou hast the words of eternal life. And we believe and are sure you're the one that God sent into the world. So I ask you this morning, if you leave Jesus, if you choose to go free, which you can, where are you going to go for your values? Where are you going to go for wisdom? Where are you going to go for hope? Where are you going to go for comfort? Heard the other day about someone who lost a loved one. They don't know Christ. We've had a lot of funerals lately. John Wesley said, our people die well, but some people don't die well. And this couple where there was a passing of one of the spouses, the living spouse just clung to the corpse and wouldn't let it go. They had to pry her loose. I ask you, if you choose to go free of Christ, who are you going to serve? Will you answer that question honestly because you're going to serve somebody? Where are you going to go? And thirdly, we serve Christ by serving His church, and I can only touch the hem of the garment here. I can't do justice to this. We'll, I'll whet your appetite, and then we'll get into it next week. Would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Notice what Paul said about this matter of serving Christ and serving the church. He said, verse 5, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. But don't stop there. And ourselves, your servants for Jesus' sake. Paul considered himself to be the servant of Christ's church. Oh, how he loved the church. He lived and died with his new converts. He showed his love for Christ by loving the church. I'm almost done. We'll go on with other things this morning. Three times the resurrected Christ on the morning of his resurrection, asked a backslidden Peter seeking restoration. Three times he asked him, Simon, do you love me? Three times Peter replied in tears, you know that I love you. And he knew what Jesus was getting at. Three times he had denied Christ, even to the point of cursing and swearing even to a servant girl. And his heart was rent as three times Jesus asked that piercing question, Simon, do you really love me? And when, P when Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I do. You, I know what it looks like, but, but I do. 
Jesus responded then, feed my sheep. One time, feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Who are his sheep, folks? We. We're the sheep of his pasture. We're the people of his hand. The church. We don't love Jesus any more than we love his sheep. We won't serve him any more than we will serve his church. I heard a man in the Cayman Islands say one time, I'll never forget this. He'd been burned by a pastor. He'd been uh, exploited by a church. Because there are a lot of synagogues of Satan out there that aren't true churches. A lot of them. He said, Brother Bob, I still love Jesus, but I'm done with the church. And he said it just about that emphatically. My heart went out to that man. He's deceived. Christ gave himself for the church. Full of spots and wrinkles. And so should we. I wonder how many members of Friendship Baptist Church would say, Pastor, God knows my heart. I could go free, but I don't want to. I love Jesus too much. I will serve his bride until he calls me home or presents that bride at the marriage supper. I will serve my Lord by serving his sheep. That'll answer a lot of questions. That'll take care of a lot of hang-ups. That'll keep us from getting backslidden when we think we've reached retirement age. Will you pray with me? Dear Lord, please seal these broken thoughts and stumbling words to hearts. May our hearts be broken and melted and our pride abased over the kind of master that Jesus is, merciful, long-suffering, gentle, kind, forgiving, Praying on the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The very ones that were clamoring for his cruel crucifixion. Oh God, let thy goodness lead us to repentance and bind our wandering hearts to thee. Help us to love Jesus and help us to show it by the way we serve his church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.